Hey, happy 2020. Good to see you. Uh, my name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here. And yeah, happy new year. I uh, hope it's off to a good start so far. Uh, I want to uh, thank you before we begin just for all of your generosity in 2019. When I look at uh, how much money this church gave just voluntarily, uh, knowing that we don't pass a collection plate on a at all really other than Christmas Eve and just to see how much you give to support the mission is really encouraging. Uh, the, the Christmas Eve offering seems like it's going really great. We're still tabulating the kind of final stuff that came in end of the year and hope to be able to share that with you uh, next week or maybe the week after. But it's really exciting and I'm just really, really thankful for your generosity and your sacrifice uh, this year. So today we're talking about loving one another through the 2020 election. All right, so here's some questions to get started. How many of you, like, you consider yourself kind of a political junkie, you love the election, you love all the political stuff, you find it really interesting, you follow it pretty closely? Show of hands, come on, how, how many of you? A few of you, okay. How many of you, you hate this stuff? Like, you didn't, you know, it's just like, I don't want to hear it, it just makes me angry and tired and bored and I don't, okay, so more of you. How many of you, you're like the person at the gathering that you bring it up? Right? You know you're not supposed to talk about religion or politics, but you're the one. Like You're going to go, go for it. So a few of you do that. Okay, how many of you think that pastors and churches should pretty much just not talk about politics? A few of you? Okay, great. Well, sorry. Uh, and then last question, how many of you just feel really nervous for me tonight? I hope. I hope some of you do. Um, you're not alone. My, my wife actually felt pretty nervous. When I, when I see what happened is I went to the elders. I said, hey, we've got this one weekend before our Malachi series starts. And there's a few different things I could preach on. Uh, here's some ideas. And, and this is what they told me I should do. And so I, I went to Molly and I said, hey, on January 5th, I'm going to be talking about politics. And she was like, oh, I have really been enjoying living here. I'm... <laughs> I'm so sad to hear that, but, um, but I do want you to know that this really is a message that I, I uh, because of especially its sensitivity and just a number of things, I cleared this in more of a, a bigger way than I normally would do with our elders. I feel like I'm always implicitly speaking on behalf of the elders of Redemption Gateway and even the leadership of Redemption Church, but, um, but in this particular instance, I actually sent them my notes ahead of time and said, hey, I want to make sure that I'm speaking for us as the elder team. This was something that as we looked at a number of different things that we could have talked about today, uh, unanimously, the elders here at Gateway felt like this is something our congregation really needs. And so, so that's what we're going to talk about today is loving one another through the 2020 election. Now, here's something I just want to acknowledge on the front end. I am not a pundit. I'm not a political expert. I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. And, and I feel like as one of your pastors, as one of your elders, my, my desire, my role is here to try to shepherd us and to try to lead us more and more into to God's desires for us as a church. And so uh, there, there's this paragraph that I wrote on the front end of this. I just think this is important. So I want to read this actually the way I wrote it. Uh, here's, here's what I wrote in my notes. I said, I want to come at this topic carefully and with humility. Last election cycle, some of you were here in 2015, 2016. Last election cycle, I was not always wise, skillful, or mature in how I addressed issues related to the election. And in an effort to get people to think, I sometimes was unhelpful and did what I often preach against, which is to make a point rather than a difference. So I, I come at this with a little bit of a limp, realizing there's a lot of potholes to step in. And I want to try to avoid those as much as possible. But here's, here's the big idea here tonight. 
is that I wanna challenge you, I wanna challenge us as the people of Redemption Church Gateway, I wanna challenge us to put our faith ahead of partisan politics between now and election day. That's November 3rd. (laughs) To put our faith ahead of partisan politics. That is to say, I want us to be Christ followers first, Republicans second. Christ followers first, Democrats second. Christ followers first, Libertarians second. Christ followers first, independent, whatever you are, second. Now notice, I'm not saying to put faith ahead of politics, but ahead of partisan politics. Because Jesus was inherently political. He was the king. And he came with a gospel announcing the kingdom. That's a political statement. That's a political claim. So the Bible isn't against politics. But what I'm saying is we need to put love and we need to put our faith ahead of partisan politics this political season. Now, here's what's striking as I think about that is a lot of you that that feel more strongly about politics or have these convictions, one of the things that you would probably say is that the reason you have the political, even partisan uh, party associations or beliefs that you have is actually because of your faith. So you'd say, it's actually my faith that is informing my politics. And I think that's a good approach to have it. But, but the danger is that we're all kind of trying to, to use God to support our policies. Right? So some of you, I, I just know, you think, some of you Republicans are like, well, of course, God is a Republican. I mean, just read Ecclesiastes 11 or 10.2, which says, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, <laughs> but a fool's heart to the left. I mean... Clearly, God is a Republican. I mean, this is a no-brainer. It's in God's word, right? Some of you, some of you are like, no, 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 no. God's not a Republican. God is a Democrat because literally when Jesus came, all he did was dispense free health care. <laughs> right? Look at what it says in Matthew. It says that he healed every disease and affliction. Universal health care. There it is. It's right there. God's a Democrat. Some of you are libertarians. You would say, no, 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 God's a libertarian. You just got to read 1 Thessalonians 4. You should mind your own business and work with your hands. See, there it is. Right, and so, so here's what we all try to do. We all try to kind of cut and paste some verses to try to get Jesus, to try to get the Bible on our political side. Here's the problem with that. As one pastor said, Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. Which means rather than asking, how do I get Jesus on my partisan side? The question we should rather ask is, how do I get on Jesus' side? How do I align myself with him, with his kingdom, with his priorities? And so let's look for a moment at what mattered to Jesus. So one passage that comes to mind is Matthew 22. This is in response to the people who asked Jesus, what's the most important command of all the commands? Here's what Jesus said. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He's saying you love the Lord with everything. He says, this is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. See, this is what's interesting. They weren't asking for a second. They were asking for one. But Jesus said, listen, you can't understand the first one without the second one. This This is just like it. Here's the second one. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, here's what Jesus knew. Jesus knew that anyone can just say they love God. But you can't tell that anyone loves God unless they love their neighbor. And Jesus says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Hang all the law and prophets. Which means that the whole entire Old Testament scriptures are about this. 
Loving God with everything, loving your neighbor as yourself. So you want to get on Jesus' side, the priority is loving God and loving your neighbor. This is what it says in the passage that we read just a moment ago in John chapter 13. It says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This, by the way, is something that Jesus was teaching. This John 13 is happening during the Last Supper. As Jesus is in his final moments training and teaching his disciples, what does he tell them? Love one another, love one another, love one another. This love is to be mutual. Do you see that three times there it says love one another, love one another, love one another. No exceptions. It's loving one another. It's not just to be one direction, but, but the people of God are to love one another, to have a deep affection for one another, to sacrifice for one another, to stick together. We're called to love one another. Not just mutually, but also sacrificially. Look at what it says. He says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Well, how did Jesus love his people? He sacrificed. He died. He went to the cross. See, see, the reason that we can stand here tonight and sing that we want to build our lives on Jesus because he's the firm foundation is because we know that we used to build our lives on something else. And Jesus, in his mercy and in his grace and in his kindness, even though he did not deserve to die, he died as a substitute in our place. He sacrificed himself. The good shepherd laid down his life for his sheep. And so Jesus says this, just as I've loved you, you are to love one another, which means that our love for one another means sometimes we have to sacrifice. Sometimes our love for another person means we don't share our opinion. Sometimes our love for another person means that we don't get our preference. Sometimes our love for another person means we sacrifice what's comfortable and what's easy. Sometimes our love for another person means we sacrifice what is culturally normal. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So we love one another mutually, we love one another sacrificially. But get this, in this passage, we also love one another missionally. Because look at what Jesus says. He says, by this, by this love you have, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That is what should show the world that we're Jesus' disciples, is that we love each other. Not our t-shirts, not our bumper stickers. Our love. Now, now here's the thing. I know that some of you already, I've just been talking about love for like, three or four minutes, and some of you are already like, eh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and here's, here's the thing. I, 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 think it's, I think it's for two reasons. One is, um, everyone, we all think we're loving, don't we? Man, I don't think there's anybody in here that's like, you know what, I really need this, because I'm mostly just a jerk. I'm glad he's saying to love each other, because I don't love anybody. Like, I, we, don't, we, all think, we all think we're loving, Right? So that's one reason why we can get bored of this. The other is I think that it's part of the devil's strategy to actually make us bored with the most important command. You go, eh, man, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a huge deal. This is the love that won you to the Father. This is the love that sends you to the world. This is the good news of the gospel that God has loved us and that he sent us to love like him. 
This is amazing news. And so in light of what mattered to Jesus, here's the call for us as Redemption Gateway, is we are going to put our faith in Jesus ahead of our partisan politics. We are going to put people ahead of partisanship. We're going to put people, because that's who we're called to love. We're going to put people, we're going to put relationships in, in front of partisanship. So how are we going to do that as the people of Gateway? I've got five ideas I want to share. Here's the first thing. We, the people of Redemption Gateway, we will be marked by composure, curiosity, and compassion. We will be marked by composure, curiosity, and compassion. Here's one of my goals for us this year, is that we, as the people of Redemption Gateway, would be the most composed, curious, and compassionate people in any room in any Twitter thread, on any Facebook post, that wherever we are, physically or virtually, we would be the most composed, curious, and compassionate people. We should be people who are composed, who have composure. Why? Because God reigns over all things, so we don't need to be afraid. Get get this, this is such good news tonight. God is in charge of everything. There's not a maverick molecule in the universe. The scripture says that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and he directs it wherever he will. So God is in charge. God's ruling, God is reigning. So we don't have to be afraid because we know that God's for us. God has proven that by giving his son Jesus. We don't have to be afraid. So here's my encouragement to us, Redemption Gateway. Let's not act like immature teenage girls during this election season. Now, I know some of you are teenage girls, and I'm not talking about you, because you're very, you're very mature. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about your friends, you know, those crazy ones, right? Like, we don't want to be like that, right? Because here's what I know, having been a little bit around some teenage girls, is every now and then, they lose their mind for no real reason. And I feel like that's sometimes what happens in this whole political discussion. We just kind of go crazy. No, 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 no. God's in charge. God's on the throne. We're going to stay composed. We're also going to be curious. We should be people marked by curiosity because God's wisdom is infinite and we'll be students rather than critics. See, I think what we're going to do forever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth is just ask a ton of questions. How does this work? How does that work? And we're never going to exhaust God's knowledge. I mean, think about how interesting this is. And so why don't we get started on that? Why don't we begin by being curious? See, here's the reality. In this room, there are people who think wildly different thoughts about everything, but in this case, about politics. People who think wildly different from you. So rather than going, well, they're just stupid. Why wouldn't you get curious? Say, oh, that's interesting. I've never thought of it that way. How did you come to that decision? How did you come to that opinion? What shaped your background on that? Now, I'm not saying you ask it like a jerk, like... So how did you come to such a dumb idea, right? That's not curiosity. That's just being mean. I'm talking about genuine curiosity. See, here's what it says in James. James was the brother of Jesus. Here's what he wrote. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Gosh, how countercultural is that verse? Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. We're the exact opposite. We're slow to hear, we're quick to speak, we're quick to become angry. And look at what it says, the anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. You're trying to grow in righteousness? Well then, stop, 
slow down and get curious. We want to be people marked by composure and curiosity and also compassion. You see, God treated us with grace. So our flinch is going to be to treat others with kindness. That's going to be our flinch. When we didn't deserve it, God was gracious. God was kind. God was forgiving. So that's got to be our disposition. That's got to be our flinch toward others. We're going to be people marked by composure, curiosity, and compassion. Here's a second thing that we're going to do as we seek to put our faith in Jesus ahead of partisanship, to put people ahead of partisanship, is we will recognize that voting decisions are complicated, not straightforward. Voting decisions are complicated, not straightforward. Now listen, voting is straightforward. You can only vote for one person. But the decision to get there, it it can be agonizingly complicated for a, a lot of us who are followers of Jesus. It can be really, really difficult. See, sometimes I'll hear Christians say something like, you could not be a true Christian and vote for a Democrat. And the thing is, if you say that, what you're saying is that the majority of the historic black Protestant church are not real Christians. You're not really going to say that, are you? On the other hand, people will say, how could a true Christian ever vote for Donald Trump? Well, a lot of people A lot of white evangelical Christians voted for Donald Trump. And I don't think you're ready to say that they aren't real Christians. So this is, this is, you get this? This is complicated. I mean, you can be a real Christian and not land in the same place. And I think part of why it's so complicated is for these uh, three reasons. I want to give you these three kind of P's that helps us kind of think through. The the first one is, is it's confusing and it's challenging because of policies, positions right? Because there's a lot of different things you might care about in terms of policies that would lead you in different directions in terms of political party, right? Now, some of you, you're just a single issue voter. You've decided this is the most important thing. This is the only thing that matters. And so it really isn't that complicated for you because it's just one issue. But here's what I want you to do. Even if that's you, I just want you to have compassion and understand that not everyone feels like that. For, for a lot of people, for a lot of believers in Jesus Christ, our love drives us to have, to care about issues in ways that make it even difficult, right? So you might be someone that says, you know what, I really, because of love, I care about pro-life and anti-abortion policy. You might also be someone that says, you know what, because of love, I care about protecting immigrants even ones who came here illegally. I just have compassion for them. I was a sojourner. God welcomed me. And so I, I just, I don't, know, I don't know all the answers for that, but I just, my heart breaks for it and I feel compassion. You might say, you know what? Out of love, I want people to be able to practice whatever religion they have freely. And I also want my kids who are in elementary school to be protected from having this kind of sexual revolution, LGBTQ thing rammed down their throats that tells my son he's not really a boy. I want to be protected from that. And, that's, and I want other kids to be protected from that because of love. You might say, you know what? Because of love, I want people to have access to health care, even when they have a hard time affording it. 
You might say, because of love, I think the, the government should, should get a lot bigger and, and have a lot more influence over things. You might also say, because of love, I think the government should shrink by a ton. See, I don't, I don't want to prescribe all these things, but let me, let me ask, if you happen to care about all that stuff, which party would you easily vote with? You can't. So, so the, the, the policies make it difficult. Here's a second P that makes it difficult. You're voting for people. See, listen, you're not just voting referendums on all these policies. You're voting for these policies as embodied and carried by a person. And every one of these candidates is made in the image of God and a sinner who desperately needs grace. They all have moral compromises. They all have weaknesses. Now listen, I don't have a junior Holy Spirit badge to be able to stand up here and tell you what they all are exactly. I mean, you watch, there's some discernment. But they've all got major flaws. I'm not even saying that they're all equally flawed. But any policy, even if you had the purest of policies and it all lined up, you'd have to vote it through a person. And that complicates it. Then the third thing that complicates complicates it for us as Christians is, is a profession of faith. See, every major candidate, I don't know if you know this, but every major candidate, except for Bernie Sanders, all of the major Democratic candidates, uh, Trump on the Republican side, all of the major candidates profess to either be a Christian or be part of a church, a Christian church. All of them. So what do you do with that? Go, I, I want to vote for a Christian. Well, they all say they're Christians. So are you going to figure out which one isn't and which one is and who's the real one? And I don't know how you would begin to do that. And, and, and so, so my point is not that you don't have strong feelings about the policies or the people or the professions, but that it at least should make us pause a bit and go, gosh, yeah, this is complicated. I could see how someone who's a follower of Jesus who wants to love the Lord with all of his or her heart and love their neighbors themselves, I could see how they'd land in a different place. Do you see that? So that should just give us a little more compassion. Here's the third thing, and this kind of flows out of that, is that we, as the people of Redemption Gateway, we will assume that there are Christians we want to love and non-Christians we want to reach who think differently from us and could be hurt by us. Here's what I want you to see. And I'm not just talking about out there in the community. I'm talking about in here. There are Christians you love who think differently than you and they could be truly hurt by the things you say or post. There are also non-Christians in here who think differently than you and could write you off and be hurt by the things you say. Right, right, so, so, so this, is, this is a big deal. See, we've gotta learn and I just think this is important for all of us as we think about being missionaries in, into this community, trying to be the best friend our, our community has. We have to always be, be speaking and posting online. So I'm talking about whether it's physical speech or virtual speech. We have to do it assuming that people who strongly disagree with us are listening. But, but I don't know what happens. We just, we sort of forget this. I remember a time a number of years ago, we had a redemption community that met at our house, a small group that met at our house, and, uh, and there was a, a guy in it who was a new believer. He and his wife were going through a really difficult time. She was not yet a follower of Christ, 
And she actually came from an LDS background, and they were going through some hard stuff. And so she never really came to the group. He came on a regular basis, and he was new in his faith and was really growing. And, and so, so there was this one night where our group was having like a potluck. We were having some food together. And so his wife, from the Mormon background, not a Christian, she, she comes to the group. And, and a lot of us are like, yes, she's here, and it's great. We've been praying for her, and we're excited for her, and excited to get to know her. And there was a guy in our group who, who loves the Lord, loves people, wants to see people come to faith, cares a lot about people who don't know Christ meeting Christ. And over that dinner, I think he just forgot that we weren't all in the same place. And he said some things that were really derogatory about Mormons. Well, what do you think that did to the wife who came? It wasn't good. And so we had to have a conversation afterward to say, hey, I know you didn't mean to do this, and I know you didn't know this, but I think you should know this so that when she's around in the future, maybe you can adjust it. And here's the thing. We do that all the time. We spend so much time in our little echo bubble chambers that we just assume everybody thinks like us, talks like us, processes like us, and they don't. And I talked to a number of people as I prepared this message and was kind of talking with some folks about it. I talked to a number of people who said that they either lost or came within a hair of losing really close friendships over the last election. Think about this. It's it's not worth it. We've got to assume that people who think differently than us are listening. So here's a mantra that I have for us, okay? Here's the mantra. Pause before you post. Pause before you post. Most of us would never think about uh, sharing certain things if we had to do it face to face. But we'll do it virtually. We'll do it online. And it hurts people. And it destroys our witness. So pause before you post. Let's actually, let's say that all together, all right? Let's get this mantra in our head. Ready? Pause before you post. Let's do it one more time. A little more vigor. Ready? Pause before you post. If we would do this this year, if we would just pause before we post, we would go a long way to loving one another better. Here's the fourth thing. As Redemption Gateway, we will prioritize our influence over our opinions. We will prioritize our influence over our opinions. Get get this. Opinions are dime a dozen. Influence where you really have a platform to speak into someone's life who cares what you think, that's precious. So should we have opinions? Absolutely. I hope you think about things. I hope you think about issues. I hope you read and you process. It's getting increasingly difficult, right? There's so many sources. It's hard to know which sources to trust. It's hard to know what's best. But but I hope we're thoughtful people. I hope you have opinions. I hope you push into this stuff. Absolutely have opinions. Should we have conversations and argue for certain things and wrestle in the context of relationship about issues and policies and candidates. Should we have those? Sure, we can do that. But, but here, here's, here's what I want to warn us about. Should we give up our precious influence with people in order to share an opinion? I don't think so. No, we shouldn't. Most of the time we shouldn't. 
One of the things I actually want you guys to discuss in your RCs this week is, are there times when it's worth giving that up? Because there probably are. Right? Is it worth risking a relationship, risking influence in order to share the truth about Jesus' death and resurrection with somebody, that he's the only way to life and that if they will trust in him, they could have eternal life? Is it worth sharing that with them and risking the relationship? Yes. No question. Is it worth spouting off about your view of the economic growth engines to ruin a relationship? No. Not worth it. Now get this, I'm not giving you an always hard and fast rule. I'm just saying we far too easily exchange our influence to say, it's a free country. I have the right to free speech. You do. And the people who disagree with you have a right to not listen to you anymore. And they will stop listening. If you trade your influence for your opinions. So don't do it. Be wiser than that. Be smarter than that. Look at what it says in Colossians chapter four. The apostle Paul says this. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Be be wise toward outsiders. Be thoughtful as a follower of Jesus about your influence. And notice he says, let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt. Some of you are like, ooh, salty speech. Yeah, I got that. That's what we're talking about. Not that kind of salty, right? This kind of salty is like supposed to bring out the God flavors of the world. It's supposed to make people thirsty. It's supposed to go, wow, where did, where did you get that life that you have? That, that, that's the idea. So don't trade that to share an article, to share an opinion. Be wise. Here's the last thing we're going to do as followers of Jesus here at Redemption Gateway, is we will see politics, partisan politics especially, as a potential false god and resist it. It's a potential false god. That especially as faith declines, faith in God, faith in politics is increasing. Here's what one analyst, he's a public uh, intellectual Christian, David French, here's what he writes. He says, I'm convinced that 2020 is going to be the most spiritually challenging year for politically engaged Christians of my adult lifetime. In an increasingly de-Christianized America, this is so interesting, politics itself is emerging as a competing religious force, and it's a religion that increasingly, that's increasingly based on hate and fear rather than love and grace. Think about what he's saying. What he's saying is people are not really trusting in Jesus, so they have to turn to something to fill the vacuum. What do they turn to? Politics. And here's the interesting thing. It's not just non-Christians who turn to it. It's Christians too. See, we're not immune from idolatry, right? We can be followers of Jesus and still fall in love with stuff and be consumeristic. We can can love and, and trust Jesus and still love money too much. We can, we can fall in love with Jesus and still compromise in lots of little ways. See, see here's the difference. When, when, you're a, when you're a follower of Jesus who, who is not stuck in idolatry, people disagree with you politically and you go, okay, I don't live for that. But, but when, when you're dealing more with like it's, it's an idol that's creeping into your heart, you get a lot angrier, you get a lot shorter, 
you get a lot less patient. You're a lot less composed. You're a lot less curious. You're a lot less compassionate. So we got to resist this. Here's a fascinating statistic. The Public Religion Research Institute did all this uh, research on polarization. Here's something that they found out. Is, this, is, this is so interesting to me. Is that they surveyed Republicans and Democrats. And they found that more Republicans and Democrats, this is true for both parties, people of both parties, uh, more Republicans and Democrats would be more upset if their child married a person of the opposite party than they would if their child married someone of a different religion. (laughs) Think about this. This is where we are now. Why? Because politics is the new religion. And heretics must be punished. And so the idea that we could raise a child in one party and they would defect to the other, it's, it's awful. It's unthinkable. And that shows that maybe... Our hearts are getting a little too sucked into the idol of politics. So, so here's, here's what I want to leave you with. I want to leave you with a question as we go into this uh, year, as we seek to love one another well. The question is this. What animal are you going to be? What animal are you going to be in 2020? What animal will define you? What animal will animate you? First, are you going to be an elephant? Are you going to be a diehard Republican and you are going to stand by Trump no matter what because they're just trying to get him and they're the worst and you can't trust the media and I'm just going to, no matter what happens, I'm going to stand by the elephant. Now, now listen, I'm not talking about being a registered Republican or even voting Republican, but, but I'm saying what's going to be the most identifiable feature of you this year? Is it going to be your Republicanism? Are you going to be an elephant? On the other hand, you could be a donkey. I love, I love whoever picked these animals. I mean, they're, neither are very good animals, right? <laughs> who wants to be an elephant? Who wants to be a donkey? I don't know. But, but are you going to be a donkey? Is that what you're going to be known, you know, known as? Die hard, whoever the candidate is, because Trump's the worst. We got to get rid of him. And, and no matter what happens, I'm standing with my person with a D next to their name. Now, again, I'm not talking about being a registered Democrat or voting for a Democrat. I'm talking about what are you going to be known by? What animal is going to define you? Don't let it be an elephant. Don't let it be a donkey. But, but there's other animals you could pick. Another one would be an ostrich. <laughs> right? <laughs> this is where a lot of us are. Is we're just like, oh, my gosh. I just, this, I've already, for 30 minutes, this has been more than I've wanted to think about politics all year. And... <laughs> boom, head in the sand. Like, I just don't want anything to do with this. I'm checking out. I don't care. And here's what I want to encourage you. Don't do that. You've been given an amazing gift in the United States of America, which is that your vote matters. So be informed and be aware. Also know that your neighbors and your friends and the people in this church, a lot of them care about this. And so, and so don't just bury your head in the sand. Similarly, you might choose to be a giraffe. Giraffe is kind of like the ostrich, but a little more superior. <laughs> the giraffe is just going to look down at all you lesser people who are probably sucked into the idolatry of politics. <laughs> and I'm going to be, as a giraffe, a head above all of you. A little bit aloof. Yeah, I don't, I don't get sucked up into that. I live of the kingdom, not of this world. Right? This kind of a thing. And, and that's just smug and arrogant. 
And so, so don't be an elephant and don't be a donkey and don't be an ostrich and don't be a giraffe. Here's what I want to be. Here's what I want you to be. I want us to be lambs. I want us to be lambs because Jesus was the lamb of God who laid down his life for his enemies. Anyone would lay down their life for a friend. Jesus laid down his life for his enemies. Jesus prioritized the needs of others above his own. And so we're called to follow him in the way of the lamb. Not grasping for power like the elephants and the donkeys do. Not imagining that none of this matters like the ostriches or the giraffes, but but engaging with it and sacrificially loving people. Not sharing every opinion, not sharing every view, not getting into every argument, but dying to ourselves for the good of our church family and the good of our neighbors. Let's take on the posture of a lamb because here's the thing about the lamb that we follow. The lamb we follow is the king of kings. See, here's the thing. Yeah, you can clap for that. He's worth that. Here's the thing. Come November 3rd, if Jesus hasn't returned, whoever gets voted in, they got a short little window. It's four years or it's eight years. At the most. But Jesus reigns forever. And so we follow him and he's he's where our allegiance lies. We want to walk in his steps his love. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you tonight for the way of Jesus. And God, I pray that we would be not just quick to affirm that that's what we want to do, but that you would give us by your spirit the resolve to do it. God, we know that the way of love is the way you're calling us to, and yet it's so hard to do because we're 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 prone to wander. We're prone to get selfish. God, I also pray that you would search us, that you would allow us to discern whether the positions we have are really positions that come from love or do they actually come from some other kind of fear, some other darker place. So God, would this be a season of self-examination and of humility, of kindness, thoughtfulness of wisdom God would you give us your grace that we could represent you well God we want to be known not by our political parties not by our quick retorts online we want to be known by our love give us that grace we pray in Christ's name